Welcome to episode 246 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. I'm Brian Lovin. Today we had our good friends Diana Mounter and Brent Jackson on the show. I'm always here. And our good friends Diana Mounter and Brent Jackson from New York. I think that's how he prefers it to be pronounced. Brent. They flew all the way out here to hang out with us. Uh, and talk, for no other reason and for no other reason except to talk design systems and drop some knowledge on y'all vis-a-vis I don't think brain there are words many people by microphone that know more about design systems than either of them and combined I mean with all powers combined yes we had we are captain plan it <laughs> get it we had a great time catching up with Diana and Brent. Before we get into this episode, we've got sponsors. Sponsors, y'all. That's weird that you say it like that. I don't like that. Our first sponsor who made this episode possible, back again, Abstract. Abstract is a secure version-controlled hub for your design files. You might even say it's a Git hub, JK. <laughs> it's a design hub. Made of Git. Basically, you could think of every other role in an organization as having uh, a source of truth for them. So Mm -hmm. salespeople have Salesforce, uh, developers have GitHub, Uh marketers have Marketo, uh, but designers have been left behind and Abstract is here to solve that. They are building the system of record, the source of Mm -hmm. truth for design files, making it easier and secure to manage and collaborate and work with stakeholders to build products. It's shocking that designers have been trying to work without version control for this long and the fact that like something like abstract is here is super helpful in enabling you to work alongside each other yeah so parallelization that's right so when you have version control it unlocks the ability to work in parallel on the same files and not have designers stepping on each other's toes or overriding each other's changes you can explore on the same file without worrying about corrupted files or overlapping Mm -hmm. work Uh, and, and it's all secure version controlled and retains all the history so if you ever want to go back in time you can do that developers have had this ability for forever if and you it's amazing to last week's episode with tom moore he talked about like how they generate files on the fly which makes for some really cool potential possibilities like this tool is obviously going exactly where the industry needs to go so yeah uh, a lot of the benefits here of, of having a, a true source of truth for design files is not only having the no conflicting copies you don't have any duplicates but you're also never going to lose files and that simplifies your life of of having to, to remember where all of your files are mm. are they on this computer or on that computer do i have them saved in the cloud nope they're on if abstract. it's a scratch file it's an abstract it's it's in your source of truth anybody can access it uh, within your organization uh, including stakeholders like uh, your pms or engineers so mm. people can actually inspect values and get value from your design file mm-hmm. uh, it's amazing we love their team. Uh, we're massive fans of what they're building. So, uh, and they continue to to just crank out new awesome stuff. Uh, they've made it really easy to for your team to keep up to date with with what's happening in the design world. And they want you to try it for free. You can go to goabstract.com, and they have a free month trial uh, on their website. You can learn more there, uh, poke around with the features, or. Uh, you could even just search for Go Abstract on Twitter and read all of the things that people are saying about Abstract, and it's like overwhelmingly positive, uh, glowing feedback about mm-hmm. how uh, it's improved designers' lives, workflows, and helps you ship better products. Yes, quite. So go to goabstract.com, give that a free month trial, uh, and of course, spread the word. Thanks to Go Abstract. Thanks. Thanks to Abstract. Thanks to Abstract. Our second sponsor 
is literally sitting in front of me, and that's Swipeys. Swipeys is there's there's two of them right in front of me. Sarah, our producer, is sitting right in front of me with her Swipeys that are covered in her copious notes of the day. Swipeys are reusable paper. That's like the the tagline here, and it's the best grid way to describe paper. it. It's, dot grid. It's wet erase paper that has a dot grid on it, mm-hmm. so you can take notes, draw mockups, wireframes, whatever it is. And it's wet erase. You can throw those notes in your backpack, hand them around to, to people on your team. And they won't get smudged off. Desk, and it's not going to get smudged off. So you have long-term value while also being able to just wipe it off with a cloth and start mm-hmm. clean anytime you need. Just, just run some water on it. It's like completely gone. It's perfect for designers, developers. Bird and I use them all the time. Sarah uses them all the time to, to keep track of what's going on with spec. Fat stacks, swipeys. Seriously, uh, this is going to change the way you take notes or, or mock up designs uh, for the things you're building. So go get some. If you go to Swipeys, that's S-W-I-P-I dot E-S, or just search for Swipeys, uh, you'll find those. You can buy a bunch of them. If you use the promo code SPECFM at checkout, it'll save you 10% off your entire order of anything on the site. Uh, and also, while you're there, convince your team to buy these. So the yeah. teams at places like Facebook, Airbnb, BuzzFeed, General Assembly, Shopify, Mo's. like huge companies have yeah. figured out that this is a, a, a great productivity tool. So get your company to order them. You can get your logo. If they're reusable, you can just like draw stuff on them, leave them on a developer's desk, walk away, and you'll it'll, it'll get it back later. We love them. Give them a try today at swipi.es that's swipies and use the promo code specfm to save 10% thanks to swipies and with that let's get into episode 246 with Diana Mounter and Brent Jackson hi I'm Diana I lead design systems at github I live in New York and I'm a mother of cats or a cat mm-hmm. commonly known as broccolini <laughs> on the internet Yes, broccolini. I can't, I can't not think of you as broccolini now. It's gotten to that point. That's okay. A lot of people have that same problem. All right. And uh, we have a second guest. Hi, I'm uh, Brent Jackson. Um, my handle online is GXNBLK. Um, I'm principal, principal UX developer at Priceline.com and also one-third of Compositor, which is a small uh, project that I started with uh, my buddies Adam Morse and John O'Tander. Nice. And you have a very similar name to Bryn. And it might be confusing for people as we say, We're like, double namers. Double namers. Yeah. So confusing that I accidentally sent Bryn a text instead of. Yeah, I was very happy. <laughs> yeah. You're maybe the world's foremost expert on Bryn versus Brent. And um, <laughs> I'm going to add that to my Twitter bio. <laughs> perfect. Uh, so I think it would be worthwhile for the Jacksoning. For. There are people who have who've likely heard you on this show before, but it, it's been a while, quite a long time, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'd be worth doing a quick recap of what you've been up to, how you got to where you are now, what you've been working on. Yeah, it's like been two and a half years or so, I think, actually. Two years, so, maybe. Time is weird. Yeah. So la- last time I was on the podcast, it was the same day that I interviewed <laughs> at GitHub, which was, I think, maybe influenced our topic of conversation a bit. And uh, and luckily, so I got the job. So that worked out well. Congratulations. And, uh, thank you. Uh, so yeah, I've been working at uh, GitHub. Uh, started off as a product designer, but not for very long. Uh, moved on to 
uh, design systems um, pretty quickly uh, and that became my full-time role. And then uh, last year I uh, became the manager for the team and then we hired some more people. Uh, we had Sean Allen last year and uh, we just uh, hired a new engineer for the team, Emily Plummer. So that's cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think I just filled my life up with design systems ever since because um, as well as that being my full-time job, I um, started a meetup uh, called uh, Design Systems Coalition. It's the New York chapter. Um, Gina Ann set up the, uh, started it with the San Francisco chapter. And so that takes up a lot of time, but it's kind of awesome. When's it going international? <laughs> well, there, no, there's actually um, one in London now. Um, oh, already. Nice. And I, there's, yeah, there's, I, I think if you go to, I'm trying to think what the URL is. I think it's literally design system, design.systems at forward slash design systems coalition, but you can link to it from design.systems. So um, yeah, Gina made that website. So nice. yeah, they're over the world now. So um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, if that's what I've been doing and then speaking at conferences a bit. Uh-huh. Eating, sleeping, breathing, design systems. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, the other thing which I'm so sure Jackson will talk about is, uh, we got a cat, so <laughs> that was a pretty big Yeah, so design change. systems all the way down. Cats and design systems, yeah. <laughs> Our cat's really into design systems. Yeah, she loves them. <laughs> You've trained her well. <laughs> Is that just when you like talk to her about design systems all the time? She'll point out uh, typographic inconsistencies and mm. things like that. Mm -hmm. Nice. Start by sitting on your keyboard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't have this anymore. This is bad. Look what you did. <laughs> all right. Um, I just want to say it's a really great, the design system meetup that uh, Diana runs is really great. I really love it. And there's a really good community around there. So if you're in the New York area, check it out. Um, <laughs> nice. Thank you. <laughs> I think last time I was on the show, I my title was designer, um, and I'm no longer a designer. I was working at The Grid, um, and uh, after that, I started at a company called Bond Street, uh, which was a fintech company in New York. Um, that was the first time in my career that I've ever had the title developer, um, and I stayed there for a year, and now I'm at Priceline.com. Um, I've been there not quite a year. Um, and still working, uh, my title is principal UX developer, um, where I guess the implication is that I'm meant to work with designers and the front end team. Um, so we've been working on a design system there. Um, most from my part, mostly on the developer side, I'm trying to get, uh, we started this as an open source project, trying to get more of the developers on the team to kind of contribute into that and start using it. Mm -hmm. And I work with the design team. They kind of drive the vision of it. Um, so we're just kind of supporting it from a development side. That's kind of, and very happy cat parent as well. Was the, I know titles are, are largely, um, aesthetic i guess but was the transition from having a designer title to a developer title meaningful or did that impact you a lot or yeah definitely i mean the the i'm still in ic um yeah. the day-to-day -day work is you know i'm working in the code base i'm um creating pull requests uh working with tickets um whereas mm. i think designers aren't necessarily expected to do that too often um our 
although I've worked at places like Etsy and Kickstarter where the designers uh, do work in the code base, um, at Priceline, the majority of them don't. So it's kind of like a, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a wall, kind of a gate. Mm. Is it a gate that you'd want to have lowered for everyone? Because GitHub's quite a technical design team, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> everyone on the product design um, team uh, codes and our web designers code and even people that isn't caught like a core part of their job um, are very familiar with like will it probably at least do things like pull requests in markdown and stuff. I would and really hope so. So uh, <laughs> yeah, and no, our team certainly spends most of our time in in code. So yeah, I think for us the expectation is that designers don't need to do that or don't have to do it. Um, but we do have a few designers that are a little bit more technically technically minded. They've actually like contributed to our design system. Um, I've done a few training. We use Storybook uh, for React Storybook. React React Storybook, which is an isolated um, development environment, um, it kind of lets you look at your React components without spinning up your whole applications. Um, which you know, getting a Node app running, uh, we use Vagrant right now. Like getting the whole setup to run the full applications, a lot of overhead for a designer. So um, I've done some training sessions with a few of the designers to get them set up with Storybook and. Um, they seem to really enjoy that workflow. That's awesome. Storybook's great. Yeah, it's we never cool. went too far with it. But um, so, design systems has sort of been the uh, what like hottest topic of 2017 <laughs> and kind of still rolling into 2018. Mm-hmm. I'm curious from your perspective how the conversation has evolved. Uh, like, it was new and exciting, and everyone was talking about it, and still people are still obviously talking about it, but. I think people are getting more used to it and uh, certainly more teams have or companies have spun up design systems teams and design systems designers like a really common title these days. So it's becoming more common. So I'm curious from your perspective how it's evolved and sort of where we are now in the industry and like what are the the problems that that are are most important today? One question at a time, Brian. (laughs) I can list a bunch more questions. I mean, I have some thoughts on like the history of that from yeah. my career, but I don't, do you have anything you want to? I'm, uh, I mean, I think that's a pretty big question, but the, the first thing that springs to mind when you say that is I, I've noticed the sort of, um, discussions that I have with people, um, either through the meetup or just, um, in the community are less about, you know, what are design systems or, and where mm-hmm. do I start and more about the sort of how, how we scale it, how we um, increase the coverage of usage on our product, like how we track metrics, um, like more more deeper into sort of the day-to-day of working on systems. Or, um, like a year ago even, it was just like a meme of like what's a style guide versus design system thing. Yeah, right? I mean, I even opened talks with things like that and at the meetup it started. I started to change the format of how I run questions because <laughs> so often people would ask like, yeah, where, where do you start and and uh, ask the sort of same questions or like mm-hmm. how do you get permissions and how do you describe what it is to other people? So having it become more popular... Um, like helps with the communication of what it is because even if you're not directly working on it, more people are aware of um, its value and and things like that. So, when you say you've sort of changed the the format of the talks at the beginning, are are you just pushing people that have those questions, beginner right? questions to a external resource? Like, okay, that's a great question, but go here so we can answer different questions. Um, 
What I'm doing, well, I was really talking about the meetup format. So I used to just uh, do, we have like 10, our format is like 10 minute lightning talks and then do a panel style Q&A. Because um, I think really it's about having a discussion and um, and starting a discussion that hopefully flows into the rest of like the social time of the meetup as well. And so I used to throw to the floor straight away and now I start off with, um, I sort of make up some questions and to keep it kind of focused because each of our ones is on a s- specific topic. But yeah, I think there's like, for people that are new to it, you can point them to a lot of good resources. And then we, we even have um, like a community and like a Slack community and other things. So like you can, yeah, there's lots of places to point people <laughs> to like articles and stuff if they're new to it. Yeah, sure. I think, um, Jackson had some thoughts though too. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm going to rewind the uh, conversation if I. No, you, you said you had some thoughts on the history and the way things have. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, it's kind of like what you were saying with like the style guide versus design system sort of thing. Um, you know, I think I think it's an evolution of what we used to just call style style guides. Um, practically every job I've had, um, at, in some capacity, we were working on a style guide. Um, we had like outside vendors at my first place, and we were kind of building a style guide so that they knew how to um, format things correctly. Um, at Kickstarter, I got to work with Aaron Robbs, um, who's at Dropbox now, but he uh, had worked at Mailchimp before that and had done like kind of this style guide with the type scale and all these things. Um, and then at Etsy, uh, you know, Diana was really involved in the style guide there. Um, I was kind of more watching from the distance, but like I think around that time, people started using the word design system a little bit more heavily. And mm-hmm. um, I don't remember the original question, but like I think it's like the same. Uh, it's from the same vein, but I I imagine these design system like the term design system to me means more like here's how you use here's the actual like intangible thing that's being achieved by having a style guide, by having a component library, by having, you know, styles defined in variables, things like that. It's kind of like not lobbing stuff over the fence, but getting like a, a closer bridge between designers and developers. What do you feel like uh, are the, the biggest challenges today uh, as things have matured a bit and people are getting more comfortable, like, you know, having these inside their, their companies and teams? I mean, I think I think one of the biggest challenges with anything like this is documentation and like education. So it's like um, these tools are meant to make you like one of the main goals of our design system is developer velocity and design velocity. Um, and if you don't know how to use a system, that's not going to be true, right? But once you kind of get up to speed with it, you know, I I liken it to something like the Unix command line. When you first get on there, you don't know any commands. You have to look everything up. It's really it's probably a lot slower than clicking around with a mouse. But um, once you have those internalized, like there's a lot of you know there's research that shows that command line interfaces are much more efficient. Hmm. Um, so I think it's kind of similar to that. But like I mean, you, even keep, shortcuts are like the same principle, right? Like yeah, keyboard, keyboard shortcuts. shortcuts. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's and you can't use a command line interface without documentation, right? That the man command mm-hmm. kind of gives you a manual for all these things. Uh, a lot of command line interfaces have help flags to kind of get you started. And I think a lot of people want to build a design system, um, but kind of maybe don't spend enough time in the documentation part. I think you can start really small with just really good docs and get a long way. Like, well, like 
go a little deeper on the what makes a good doc because certainly in the last year I've seen a lot of companies publish their style guides and they all have a slightly different approach. Some of them you can tell are very developer oriented because it's like here's the code snippet to use this mm-hmm. in your project and uh, some are way more uh, visually focused like click to see the the different colors and then there's no code snippets or or it's really principle driven but not necessarily like talking about implementation uh so for you what makes a good documentation site to ramp up that velocity velocity for people i mean i think i think whether it's developer designer focused like if you're trying to speed up you know developer velocity then like you focus on that part. If you're trying to speed up the design process, then focus on that part. But, but isn't everyone trying to do both? If you're trying to do both, I think you need to balance those both, right? <laughs> I like I like when the documentation's co-located, um, because I think that cross-pollination, that like crossover and like the you know, the hybrids in our industry that may have one title or the other, like I think that's super useful for, you know, even if you're uh, a user researcher and you're not doing anything with the interface, like just getting a little bit familiar with how the actual like medium of your application works, um, I think is good. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you got to have, whether it's like you have the um, sort of visual representation of, of what it is and, and why it is and the interaction guidelines and principles and stuff on the same page as like how to implement this or not. I think you, it, the point is to have both because it's where design and engineering meet. It's going to create this unified language and understanding about um, uh, what a certain component is and what um, these things mean to help like conversations between designers and developers. So I think that, uh, yeah, I agree. It's got to be co-located and whether you have it on, have those things on the same page or separate sections or whatever, like it's, it's, I think you sh- your yeah your style guide should have both the code and the the design implementation and the why. Um, but I think um, I think the why is actually really important because um, it helps people uh, understand how you arrived at, at or why things are the way they are, and um, they can take that and and apply it to if they start to design their own components and contribute to back into the system then. And understanding the why is really helpful. Um, I also like have been thinking, if you don't mind me going on a slight tangent. Go um, for it. That's what we do. <laughs> um, I also have been thinking a lot about not relying on documentation because honestly, there's there's going to be a chunk of people that just don't read it. Like, like they don't. So like, uh, I mean. We Isn't start- that frustrating? <laughs> It's like their job. I know. I'm like, it took me hours. Please read this. Um, I think uh, uh, I really like that there's been more of a turnover discussion to talking about the design of the the API of your design system and or the API of your actual individual components and trying to um, create like, uh, what's the phrase? I always get this wrong. Uh, a small API surface area or minimum. Like minimals, minimal, minimal API, API service. There was a talk that phrased it like that, and um, I think that's a really good way to think about it. To so that people learn um, by using the design system. So one of the 
things we try and do is make um, how you apply things or, or modify components predictable and have the same approach on every component and have, um, and then I think that obviously we're, we're still like mostly working in, in, um, in SAS. So like for us, like uh, class names following consistent naming patterns and things, but you that could translate to React components too. So I think, um, not relying on the documentation. I think it's really important and there will be people that uh, will love that and read it, but um, also thinking about uh, making it easy to learn how to use the system by the system itself is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one example, like correct me if this is not what you're talking about, would be like the way you would name a property to like try and convey whether it contains like a string or a true false. So for example, is disabled versus like, disabled state as the name of the prop like is disabled can be true or false so it sort of the it inherently describes what people should expect it to do sort of encapsulates the type and the name of it right right, right. Mm -hmm. is that what you mean by by like having an intuitive api into the system or is something else i i that can be part of it I mean, it's, it's, I think I think about more like, so we're, we're starting to explore using React and it's like, what props do you make available to this component versus that? And is there a pattern between what types of props are available to which components and, um, and, uh, having consistent, um, I'm going to say props like 50 times now. Prop names between... Props, props. Um, props, props. <laughs> Welcome prop. to React. <laughs> that is true. Um, yeah, having like consistent prop names between components. So um, uh, shout out to Styled System. I've been uh, using that and that like allows us to use utilities as props. So that mm. means that the how we add uh, a color prop to one component is the same as another. So yeah, things like that. Can you describe the philosophy behind styled systems? Yeah, I just I want to like tag on to what she was talking about. Um, styled systems, we use this at Priceline as well. And, you know, uh, if you think about building out components in your React library, you might be tempted to say like, this is like a border color prop or this is like a, uh, I don't know, you might change the name between one component and another. Um, so a styled system, uh, it works with CSS and JS libraries uh, like Emotion, glamorous and style components uh, which is what we use um, but the idea is like you know every time you want to add a color prop to one of your components that prop name is always color it's, it takes the same sort of arguments it hooks into a theme so that we know that like color blue that actually picks up from the theme it's not like the CSS color blue mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah I think the full you asked me about the philosophy of styled system. Yeah. Is that the word you used? Yeah. Or did I make that up? Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, I, it's kind of the, this is stuff we've worked on at Compositor. This is like related to other stuff I've done in the past. I, I built a React component library called Rebase. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's kind of like, riffing off of that a little bit. Um, it Which takes, itself was riffing off of base CSS. Yeah, and base CSS takes a lot of ideas from like uh, Nicole Sullivan and like object-oriented CSS mm -hmm. and uh, stole a lot of ideas from Nicholas Gallagher's suit CSS at the time. Um, but it's, uh, it started off, there's, there's, if you're 
styling an application or doing layout, uh, a lot of times you want to modify margins, widths, font sizes, colors, sort of ad hoc. Um, that's hard to kind of like encapsulate into like, here's like a big component. Um, you can go that route. But um, there's a lot of times when, as a developer, you may be like build an interface and a designer comes by and says, that's the wrong font size. So making those like changing requirements or like changing specifications like really quick to make, um, that's part of the idea behind it. Um, but it's also, I think unlike, there's there's other React component libraries out there and uh, Rebase was really meant to be kind of like a baseline um, and not to be used out of the box. It was meant to be extended upon mm. so that like it has a button, the button looks really plain. Um, but you know, you want your butt button for your brand to kind of like match that. Um, I don't think a lot of people use it that way. So I just kind of broke things down into more lower level pieces, I guess. This is like a problem with people reading documentation just in general. <laughs> I mean, I'm certainly guilty of it as well. well Have you... I probably didn't write the documentation that well for that either. <laughs> Have you found tricks to, to get people to read the documentation or like actually give have a shit seen, about it? Have you seen a clockwork orange? <laughs> I've seen half of it. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> okay. It's a good reference. <laughs> it was a long time ago since I watched that. I, I, uh, our team reviews a lot of pull requests, um, uh, to sort of help with people with the CSS and, um, I, if, police. No, we're just, uh, <laughs> We're facilitating the increased adoption of the design system. <laughs> ah, that is a very I just made that up. much that more diplomatic <laughs> way to say it. Yeah, um, it does. It does feel. I, I've actually even called myself the style guide police because sometimes I, it feels like that. Um, government governance is uh, an interesting thing, um, but uh, every time I see someone that, especially if I uh, have a strong feeling that they're new to. GitHub, um, or don't work on the front end very much, and don't don't know maybe don't know about Primer or the Style Guide, or haven't used it much yet. Then uh, and they they're doing something that obvious that I think that they obviously haven't read the documentation, and they'd find it helpful. Then I always link to that. So I'm like, <laughs> you can use uh, these can all, you can remove all this custom CSS and use like typography utilities. Here they are. Um, so uh, some people really love that. Some people react really positive. They're like, oh my gosh, there's even more stuff here and that will make my job easier now. Thank you. <laughs> some, sometimes not, but yeah. <laughs> yeah I so think, that I, helps. <laughs> I think I, I try to be proactive about this stuff as well, like for uh, pull requests and like code reviews that aren't like directly in the design system, maybe in the product. Um, I try to like point people to like, hey, you could do it this way or like maybe do it you know, and like link to the docs, um, or hey, this is available. You don't have to do X; you can do Y. Um, not in a policing way, but more in a like kind of guiding way. And I also try to make myself um, available to people so that like if they have questions about the design system or have questions about the code, that they can kind of like ping me and try to be proactive about developer education and kind of like pairing things like that. Is that office hours? Not not strict office hours is just kind of mini interruptions, small interruptions throughout the day. Yeah, we do. We actually uh, uh, shout out to John Rohan on the the other member on the team because uh, we we have a uh, office hours and we weren't really doing it very well, 
and uh, uh, he he suggested like why don't we just have this like open call and uh, make sure we share it um, across the team and do it every day for and promote that yeah people can uh, join the call and uh, talk about a problem that they're having um, get advice sometimes we sometimes we do we pair all, all together to try and especially if it's like a really gnarly like uh, CSS bug um, so yeah we do we do office hours um, which I think is it's really it's good for two reasons one yeah being available and um, helping people learn the system and, and solve problems but also it allows us to try and bucket those um I don't want to say interruptions because it's part of our job, but like it allows us to create time in the day where we can be focused and have our head down and um, do deep work and then sort of try and bucket the sort of pairing and stuff into uh, time buckets. Um, we also do uh, uh, have a on-call rotation, so we called first responder. So oh that my gosh. <laughs> that person like takes is is meant to be available like that during that week. Um, they're meant to, to do the CSS emergency. <laughs> <laughs> I you you'd be surprised how much damage you can see. Would I just use it? No, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I I don't think in the two years in the two years since we've been doing that, I don't think we've any of us have had like a four a.m. wake up call. Um, we are on our pager duty system, so we could be, but that's that's touch wood. That sounds horrible. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, it allows it. It's really to allow and make sure that we can try and respond to poor poor request uh, like do your code review quickly and protect the rest of the team from from sure. the, the noise basically are there a lot of pull requests that are primarily on the styling side or are they often just like you just view those pieces how, how much oversight do you have over the non-styling stuff we uh i don't know if you've used the um code owners feature on github but that you no. can know what is that so uh, it, you can create a code owner's file. I'm sure there's a blog post on, on GitHub yeah. for this um, or on the help docs. And you can uh, specify what, um, you just list the file paths. Um, so I can say, Brian can never ship a style.js file ever without my approval. Yes, you can actually do that. Thank you. <laughs> Um, cause you could, as well as, uh, there's, there's different levels, um, that you can use it with. So with ours, it automatically, we're set on certain, on pretty much every CSS file. Um, and you, it can be directories, of course, and you can Holy name a shit. team or individuals and you can, we have so many paths. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can put it. Yeah. Wildcard. Slash asterisks. Yeah. You can Must do that. Must be reviewed by Bryn. Yeah. And honestly, <laughs> Great. I <don't>, Cool. <laughs> I haven't edited the file for a while, so it, I hope it hasn't changed too much, but it's it's basically like that. And you can say I get re requested for a review, but you can set it so that like um, that PR can't be shipped without a um, review from that person. We don't do it that strictly. We're more like we get pinged um, and um, we, we trust that the team to know when they really do need to um, wait for our review, but we try and still get to those anyway, and still say, "Oh, this we don't need to Proactive. do this." Yeah. So I know you both probably get this question like a million times, but it seems like a problem that a lot of people have, and it's how do you balance being the police here while also 
having a system that's flexible enough for new people to bring new ideas and change things. So I guess part of that question is like the perception of what the design systems team is internally at your company and then how you think about versioning and improving it over time. Like, yeah, you have this really solid thing today, but in five years, how do you make sure that you're keeping up with with technology and the needs of the website and things like that? Like what's the system for the system? Yeah, I mean, I think my like driving philosophy for this sort of question is um, make it so good that people want to use it. Don't make it like too hard to use. Um, and like, if you TLDR, if, don't suck. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> make a good thing. Okay. I, I also come from like a developer side a little bit more to where uh, we we have code in our design system that lets us do really gnarly things that like a designer wouldn't actually want. Probably going like out there, right? Um, but we kind of like put that trust on the design team to actually be, you know, using the system in a way that makes sense for the, you know, visual UI aspects. Do you have an example? I'm not sure I know. Well, okay, okay you can set any color on uh, yeah. like a text and background, right? Um, Red and blue, yeah. Yeah. And it could be too low contrast. It could be like just ugly looking. Um, but like I, I trust the designers I work with not to do things that look ugly. But like in the code, if if we're doing a wacky A B test, that's it's still possible. Technically possible. Like if you're under the hook and the new brutalistpriceline.com <laughs> vibrates your eyeballs off. <laughs> I do I brutalist Okay. Anyway. <laughs> you want to say something? That could so be a bad. whole nother <laughs> Brentless, that's a good. I'm just. Yeah. I, I find the evolution of like hyper minimal websites over the past like couple decades really interesting. And now that there's like a more tangible name to like brutalist. I mean, there, there are different versions of brutalist. There's minimal brutalism, and then there's also like super weird brutalism. Like yeah. the outline.com is often used as an example of that. It's like bizarre on purpose. Yeah, which I like that too. It's I don't know. It looks fresh. Everything. The animated rules fuck with me a little bit. They've got like zigzags that like animate across the screen over and over, so it looks like they're waving. I'm trying to read something. You like you like wavy underline. I was like, are they using the wavy underline? (sighs) But it just it animates across constantly while I'm trying to read something. It's really annoying. It feels like a little inchworm kind of going across the page, right? This is the outline. Yeah, yeah. I was I was sure. really excited when I found the the way wavy that the wavy underline existed, and uh, I've been trying to find an excuse to use it. And that's my I wanted to uh, include it in my like predictions for trends in um, 2018. <laughs> wavy <didn't>, underlines <laughs> back, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that got edited out. Didn't yeah, it? I did. You the, did write that. <laughs> I did that with Figma and it got edited out and I was so sad. But then I was like, <laughs> I, when I read all the others, I was like, yeah, that was a good decision by whoever did that because it would have sounded really out of place and and silly. But um, now I won't be able to say when it does become the trend that I I called it. So Well, now you've gotten a chance to yes, say it. It's I on the record now. Yeah. On the record. <laughs> yeah. Do you have thoughts on policing uh adoption versioning i do um i think that's a really big area that one of the things that i think you need is you need um product to influence a design system as you need a design system to influence and ideally be used on the product so i i i think uh i i want 
there to be change. I expect there to be change, and that and like we've definitely had that. We have uh, uh, designers iterate on things when it needs to be. Like they'll explore new solutions, and then um, we'll work with them to help fold that back into into Primer. Is there like a set process there, or is it like a kind of more freeform conversation? Um. It's not set in terms of like do this, then do that, then do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I in our in you our need d- three product areas to ratify this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sponsor it. Signed in. <laughs> I yeah. I really. I don't think that it. So far, it hasn't worked like that, and maybe we'll have more sort of a strict outline or a more defined process as we scale. But so far, I found it's it's more like this needs to be a conversation, and a lot of it depending on what it is, it can be mean a very different approach that you need to take. Because like if you're introducing a brand new component into uh, for a brand new feature, that process is going to be different to iterating on an existing one mm-hmm. or modifying or extending an existing one. Um, or something like consolidating um, a pattern that you've noticed there are like seven or eight different variations and there only needs to be one or something like that. So um, what I try and do is... Uh, or I and our team do is try and talk with the the person that needs the change, um, and and then point to examples of those sort of different use cases and talk them through what what process would be good to take. So that might mean auditing a pattern. It might mean um, uh, first throwing up an issue for discussion with the rest of the team. It might be exploring some um, design mocks or prototyping something in code uh, before we start to get into sort of building it out um, in the system. And we've had um, tons of product designers and, and and some developers as well like that help contribute back into Primer, which is, is great. And so we're learning, every time we go through that, we learn like more about what, works and what's effective um from our side as well as the product side what 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 is the most effective thing or some of the most effective things that you found i mean it's difficult to say one thing for the whole whole process sure i think um really it's a it's collaboration and um it's reading the documentation yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) read the docs i on it it's kind of funny because uh Someone definitely asked the other day, "Do we have? Do we have? Doc- is this documented for like how to control?" I'm like, "Yep." And for a <laughs> while, um, we have like an internal team application, and you can change people's like sort of byline, and you can't ever change yours. And mine got changed to human style guide search because it was until we had like a decent search on the style guide. I was always like, "Yep, it's here. Yep, it's, it's here." Just go with Dacalini. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> you heard it here. You're welcome, GitHub folks. Please go change uh, that. <laughs> that that will happen. At the moment, Excellent. it says something in French because I was did an article on color, and it says something like "lexberg sur color sur web" or something. But I can't. I just said that really badly because I can't speak. Nah, French you yet. nailed it. Nope. Every every <laughs> French speaker will know exactly what that was. I've totally forgotten what we I were talking about. I do recall that now. article though. <laughs> Obviously, I couldn't read it, but I remember that coming out. Yeah, it was funny to translate it because I have obviously the English copy, and they mm. trans, and then it, I translated it back, and I was like, "Yeah, there's quite a lot of things that got a little bit lost in translation." But oh well. Mm. Do you think the world's getting too tied to React? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Every design system is being built in React. Figma is exporting to React. No. No? Figma isn't exporting to React. Someone built their React exporter, to be clear. It would be great if we could just all agree on one Would one it be? Thing. Is it? No, probably We not. all need a new standard. <laughs> now there are N plus one standards. You want to we, say something so bad, but you're... I just wanted to say no. Do you want a longer answer than that? Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's a, a bad thing right now. Like, um, you know, if, you, if you're using React in 2018, it's going to be easier to hire developers who are familiar with it. It's a large community. It's a large, like, ecosystem of components and, like, tutorials and, like, training and all this stuff. Um, so it's got a lot of advantages there. Um, I think, I don't, I don't know if designers realize how much of a paradigm shift it was for how... Uh, you actually build uh, UI in an application. Um, it feels really native to like the what I think is the most common design processes. Like it, it feels like the way you build an app in a design tool. Yeah, um, and, and I, you know, coming from the design background, when I first, I was a little bit hesitant to learn React when it first came on the scene. I was kind of playing around with early versions of uh, Vue.js, and this was like after dealing with Angular, and then you know, seeing React, I was like, well this is what designers want. Yeah. Like, it kind of felt like that. Um, designers only want one thing, and it's fucking disgusting. Maybe. What? Do you Bruce know that meme? Design. No. no. Oh, never mind. I do not either. Thanks for... <laughs> I didn't get that <laughs> reference. So there's not there's, there's a Twitter out. meme about uh, men only want one thing, and it's fucking disgusting, and then it's some, like, completely random thing. Uh, I see. Yeah. I don't know that one. I feel like I, feel like I should. <laughs> someone tweeted Ben only want one thing and it's fucking disgusting and then someone just took it and like changed it it's always something different now I see the evolution of memes mm -hmm. so, but, but I think there's still experimentation in the space right like um, you know the the React core team is still continually like kind of pushing it forward and trying new things. Um, you have other libraries like VJS that kind of like took some good ideas from React. It's still kind of its own thing. Um, and I think, you know, there was the web component spec, which was kind of like coming about. Um, I like from what I understand, that changed a bit after React came on the scene. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think it's indicative of how people will be building UI in the next 10 years, even if it's not branded as React, even if it's something else. Um, I, th I think another idea that gets lost is that uh, I think Facebook developed this so that they could kind of have a the same way of building UI across platforms. Um, so it, like I hear some people say, um, we don't want to use React, we want to use like a universal like framework agnostic thing and I'm like that is React like React can render to PDF it can render to um, you know native application UI it can render to web which a lot of people use it for you can build your own renders like it's kind of uh, very open ended in that regard I see what are you most excited about with React coming up that you see come uh, I mean 10 years is too far out to predict where all this is going I mean, the most recent thing is uh, uh, something coming out called React Suspense, which kind of uh, lets you do some interesting async things with yeah. React, not to get which too nerdy. Which we got a preview of yesterday. Yeah, yeah the, I told, at the I, I told Diana to watch, make sure she watched this one. I did. I watched it. It was well, great. <laughs> give us a TLDR because there's so far I've seen that talk and then Dan's talk announcing React Suspense. And both of them talk about it purely from a user experience point of view. Like they don't, 
they sort of talk about the technical details, but they're like, the reason this exists is because of the user experience. Let us show you how much better of a user experience you can create. Well, this is something I was talking to Diana about after the talk. Um, it's it's the type of thing where I feel like design tools like really lack, right? Because mm. the developers are working in the code base. They understand the intricacies of asynchronous API calls and like you may get like the movie detail part, but you don't get the comments at the same time, but you want to render that UI together. What does that look like? Do you put spinners all over the page? Like that's a really terrible user experience. So it's like, I'm sure they worked with designers on this as well, but like this is the type of thing that if you're working in Sketch all the time, you're not going to be thinking about like, oh, what are all these intermediary loading states and like what does it actually feel like or even if you do think of the intermediary loading states, it's hard to envision all of them coming together on one page at the same time. Well, you also don't know like which queries are going to like take longer and all that stuff. Like, exactly. You just can't know that back end. What's going to resolve in what order? Yeah. And to take network latency. Do you need one for like the yeah. total page and then individual components and then... Yeah. So for people that don't know, can you give us a TLDR on React Suspense? Diana? You know. <laughs> do, you, do you want me to? <laughs> TLDR... Uh, a really, a really simple example um, is, you know, with React, you can kind of like if you don't have data for a component, you could render a spinner in its place. That's what a lot of people do. So it's like, if there's no data, show a spinner. Mm-hmm. If there is data, show the component with the data. Um, if you're on a fast connection, you may see a really quick flash of that loader. That's probably not ideal. If it's going to load within like a few milliseconds or like a few hundred milliseconds, like just wait that small time and then show it but then if it's taking two seconds to load like give the user an indication that it's taking longer it's it's about feedback of the the um, data right yeah without being annoying yeah i i I mean from the user perspective i think it's great because i think that um it's more intentional it means you move you're using those loading loading states in a more intentional way you're not just saying Oh, and here's our loading state for everything ever. You're thinking about here, here's how this page is going to load um, for uh, for most you or like users on fast connections versus small, and that, and you're not just thinking about the whole page. You're thinking about the components on the page, and I think yeah, I think that it, that's part of the design. And it seems like there's there was a lot of excitement around um, is it skeleton components for like like loading states yeah. things like yeah Jesus. yeah um but <laughs> one of the i don't think it was uh was it yeah i think andy clark showed this in the talk um he showed like counting all like the different loading states and um i think that we think we're being really clever sometimes by doing this but actually it's drawing more attention to the fact that the it's thing loading, hasn't yeah. um loaded yet yeah. so uh I think uh, yeah, there's some interesting stuff to think about in terms of like the psychology of loading states and things. So, um, I'm yeah, I'd be interested to see because I, I other as well as like talking about this, um, something that I think Jax and I have talked about a fair bit is like how sometimes the development world sort of influences the design world um, because they 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 were able to come up with a, a better solution for this, right. uh, which actually ends up in a better design experience, a better yeah. user experience. So 
um, I think this is one of those things, right? I think the other interesting thing to note is like, not only is it something that like, I mean, you could do this today with React, you could kind of be really smart about like uh, a timeout for when you're showing a loader versus not. Um, I don't think a lot of people do because it's a little bit more difficult to do. So I think the, uh, what people call like developer experience around this, like how hard it is to do this, like Mm -hmm. does it guide you in the right way? Um, I think they did. From what I can tell, um, I haven't used this stuff yet. It looks like it's like just makes this really easy to do out of the box and like kind of do the thing that's good for your end user without much like effort up front. It's like literally just type in the number of milliseconds that you're willing to have the user stare at a blank space. <laughs> it's like oh, 300. <laughs> cool. Done. Everything else is taken care of. Uh, yeah, that's exciting. Cool. Um, Timeout then fade in. That way it looks nice. Time out, then fade in, then fade out, then fade the content in yep. while sliding in left from right. Have you no, s- have it fade out on top of the content, so it just fades <laughs> into the content. <laughs> Best user experience ever. Yeah, Loading right. state designer, Bryn Jackson. One of my most popular repos for the longest time were loading spinners. FYI. Right. I, I would like to also say that I gave you feedback on your one of them that was the Cylon style one from Battlestar Galactica and it was better because of that so, yeah Diana helped yeah. out Diana helps me. out Cylon <laughs> expert <laughs> Diana Mountain. this is how you make it more Cylon-y <laughs> I think the psychology of loading states is interesting and you know everyone knows like well it, it's almost gone too far. It's like, oh, well, if you have a, a loading state, the perceived loading time is mm-hmm. slower than if you show nothing. But now it's like, ah, there's a middle ground. Like Nobody's fooled. N- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or people have just gotten savvy to it, right? Yeah. Like they know that it's just bullshit. Yeah. Fucking like skeleton gray boxes with shimmers yeah. and stuff. But I think that's, I think it gives you more context for what's coming versus like a blank screen with spinners. Like I think that is just, a shit experience because you have no context for what's coming really except for that you asked for something yeah and that there is something still happening i think when you look at us yeah i do think yeah when you look at a spinner for a long time instead of things like Mm -hmm. skeleton components or like low-res images that blur into full ones like if you feel like oh that it's it's gonna load Mm -hmm. (laughs) for sure for sure there's more success happening it looks like yeah (laughs) yeah Um, I don't have any more things to talk about React. Yeah, me neither. How do you feel about (laughs) using props as style overrides? I like to keep styles all in one place, like in the style component rules, with some things that are um, hmm, context information versus like actual style. Like you mentioned color props earlier. Uh, We use color props in very few places. Like we try and keep the styling like in the style components side of things. But like we might have... Um, like it's a dark background behind it. So like we're going to use light text color or dark background or something like that. I think like, honestly, I think that's like a, a scale thing, right? Like, so mm-hmm. you have a small team you mm-hmm. can kind of communicate this. You don't have a lot of different designers like wanting to try to do different things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, maybe you do. Maybe you, <laughs> maybe you have disagreements, but you can talk in a room yeah, together. And I figure would say out, a lot right? of them, but we, did, we do have very different tastes. Um, but it's hard to know, um, especially all these different teams working with the design system, it's hard to know how um, they may want to, I don't know, requirements change, right? Like, yeah. That's the way I think about it. And if it's quick and easy to make that change, um, like say you did want to change the color, 
that was hard coded in a component that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have this separate library that's a design system, you have to go and update that. You have to make sure it's backwards compatible, uh, publish a new version, then bring it into your application, then like kind of like update that there. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of my thinking around it is um, being able to change the code right where it is um, also makes it really readable, right? Like if you're a developer and you look at a, you know, a page component and you're like, I want to edit something in this blue box area, you can look and see this is the box with the background blue. And mm-hmm. it's like a little bit easier to identify. And I think you get the same benefit from, like if you look at primer CSS, like a lot of the like naming conventions you do there kind of serve that same mm-hmm. purpose, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a really similar model. And like we, we we're okay with, yeah, people using utilities to override component styles, as, mm-hmm. but it it's more like it should be an exception. And if we notice a pattern of the same thing getting overridden, then we know that that component needs updating. But I think that that's, that's okay. I, it's still part of the system, right? I tend to override instances with like... Uh, you can, styles components allows for you to like do inheritance, right? Like I can just override a single rule and then like use it in that instance, right? But if you're going to basically like kind of let people have free reign with it, that seems I don't know weird. So you think, like having multiple places to like check for whether or not the styling changed, like just seems right frustrating. So you can take you can import a component then pass it into styled components and kind of like change stuff like mm-hmm. override it there, right? Yep. Um, so if it's like button, you can do styled and then button yeah. and have it be like button green and it just overrides the background color to be green or something like that. I think this gets back to like part of like philosophy behind styled system. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make a you can make a box component that has every CSS property on it, right? I think that's not super helpful. Um, <laughs> and you're but, just writing CSS as props. But like nice. if you're if you're using style components and you're not kind of like abstracting these things out, like if you, you know it's like rule of three, if you're doing something three times. You should probably abstract it out into a like a component in this mm-hmm. case, um, but uh, I I I look at CSS like it's a low level, almost like assembly language. Like um, I work with a lot of developers that aren't interested in or like super strong with CSS. Mm-hmm. Some are, and like the ones that are, I encourage to work on the design system and kind of like help out with that. Um, but I for, work with those people too. Yeah, but for a lot of front end developers, they you know they get more frustrated with it and it's a bigger time suck than it is like something that's like seems worth learning mm-hmm. um, where color as an example like even non-developers know what color mean means right so like if you can kind of build these abstractions that let people build the interface without having to think about CSS I think that's I think that's super powerful that's the best argument I've heard for that like not let making it so people don't have to think about CSS sure is GitHub using a CSS and JS library, or is it still just Sask being? Uh, we we are exploring that um, really early stages, though. So we started to build a version of Primer in React with um, we, we first off started with styled components and, and using styled system, um, but we will test out emotion and glamorous and things like that to see what works for us best, and that's probably also not what will ship first um because that will it will take us a while to um you know port all our styles over and um i also think it's a good opportunity to do some uh, tidy up um of some of the styles that are of components that are like used all over the place and have some like rigid sort of css in 
um, because we won't have to ha worry about the same problems because it's like encapsulated mm -hmm. in a component. Uh, so I think we'll start off by uh, using class names on components, uh, like the current primer, and then move um, components over to a CSS and JS solution, uh, sort of one by one, um, which will allow us to like start to design the API of components because we can still sort of map the props one-to-one -one with what we might do with a CSS and JS solution and, and start to, yeah, get feedback on that and then, um, and, and then iterate on it and move over to a CSS and JS thing. But you can do some cool theme provider stuff too, like that yeah. is totally different than Zass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's really, I'm really excited about that at the moment. And, uh, I was just working on pulling out, um, uh, things like color and type and spacing into uh, JSON objects so that we can share that with other um, sites using React and also share it with design tools and things like that. So, um, uh, yeah, all that sort of stuff in the theme and theming even maybe. So, yeah. I feel like uh, CSS and JS, now that we've switched to using it exclusively, I have a hard time envisioning ever going back to writing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think about working on Rails apps with SAS and I shudder and I, I, I can't. I get really scared. I can't. It's hard. <laughs> I was very skeptical of moving over at first because like I'd, I'd lived in SCSS for so long. And yeah, no, it's, it's such a different experience, not necessarily in like how you write it, but in what capabilities you have. Mm -hmm. Super exciting. Yeah, I think I think like when like I I haven't used React nearly as much as like Jackson you folks, but um when it when I first started learning a few years ago, um because Etsy was starting to um explore using, it, I think they do now. Um, it felt like I couldn't. I had trouble envisioning how I would manage a system, a design system mm -hmm. across this, and share share styles in an effective way. And um, things like style components and um, emotion and all that sort of stuff coming out has uh, made that a lot easier and, and given us a better ways of handling that than, than yeah, just um, SAS. So I'm excited. I think excited. The, the style encapsulation alone is worth the price of admission. But like, mm -hmm. like you said, you can do a lot with theming and dynamic styles and kind of like functional programming kind of weird stuff, right? That also yeah. comes back to the, like, with power comes responsibility because now you can literally do anything that you want inside the CSS. And so anybody could ship anything that's like fucking wild or I, does I, crazy JavaScript. I mean, we made that, some cool they, stuff. They're going to do that anyway. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we, we have a theme that's all like hex, um, hex codes, but we built some like cool um, utilities that actually like convert hex to RGBA and then like we'll adjust the opacity with just like a hex code or like a variable name. Like that mm -hmm. kind of stuff you just can't do otherwise. I mean, you can do it in SAS in a really complicated way, but like now it's it's like three lines or something. Yeah. Well, you're limited to what SAS has built in as far as yeah. functions, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas like once it's in JavaScript, everything on NPM is available. The world is my oyster import all the npm packages yeah. fuck mm -hmm. the bundle size which like you said you could you could run into you could like do too much with this right but like the front end tooling right now people do too much with css all the time what are you talking about <laughs> me I mean, do too much do you use webpack bundle analyzer yeah this is probably too nerdy but you can actually see oh buddy your application like what libraries if you saw are a bundle you would it's probably large you would look at one file and say Bryn, what the fuck? I'm just kidding. We got a big bundle. It's a we got we haven't figured out quite yet how to code split our icons. 
So we ship every icon ever into every. I mean, page. it's just <laughs> it's just SVG paths. Like yeah. that's all the data there is. Yeah, I got I got something for you that I haven't released. We yet. should talk about it. But because if you look at our, if you look at our bundle, it's like all today. these sm- all these small boxes, and then this one big box that says icons.index.js or icon slash index. <laughs> like fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's my file. It's a good. Com- <laughs> Do not touch this. It's file. a good component. The switch function, less so. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll clean it up. This is with a switch function. Uh huh. No, we have an object dictionary, so that object is like you can't know what. Anyway, no, but like I think like there's a lot of good tooling to make sure that your like JavaScript applications have gotten lar- larger and larger. But there is good tooling for minifying, yeah. bundle splitting, all this stuff. Like you're just not going to have that same level or sophistication of tooling for something like SAS ever. Um, and I suspect like you know, Kickstarter's CSS file minified was over a megabyte when I started what like a few fuck? years ago. And it was because of <laughs> because of what SAS kind of encourages sort yeah. of like some of the patterns there. Mm-hmm. And I think like you're well, never nesting. <laughs> like nesting alone yeah. will generate so much CSS. Nesting, a lot of nesting nesting, yeah. for each it's so nice template. to use. Yeah. <laughs> but like it was it was it was a way to achieve the same thing that you get with style components, yeah. like the style encapsulation. But at the cost of like you know really slow yeah uh, performance issues. Coming uh, a little bit back to the the testing part of this, uh, how do you feel about visual regression testing? <laughs> I like snapshots. I don't like visual regression testing. Okay. I I, I mean I think you're bringing it up because earlier I said I I feel like it's overrated, but uh-huh. what I really meant is I I don't think it's the first thing that you should worry about. Um, however. I that's something that I think that maybe we want snapshot testing actually. Um, when you say snapshot, are you talking about like generating screenshots or just snapshots of of the component? Uh, the, yeah, this the same idea that uh, just snapshot is um, right. So, so like if you go back five years, people were all excited about visual regression testing and they were like trying to do this and you get a lot of false positives when you do that. That's kind of my main like issue with it. It's it's interesting. It's a cool idea, but um, with if you're using something like React, part of the idea with React is if you give it an input, you can always be guaranteed a certain output, right? Mm-hmm. And that's on React. You don't have to write tests for that. You shouldn't be testing did this render correctly in the browser because that's it'll prevent that's, you from running or whatever. That's like well, it's like React's job, right? Yeah. Is to like render this into a browser, into a mobile application, whatever. So snapshot testing is you say. Um, um, I mean, it looks it looks like the rendered output, um, but you're just storing a string, and you can kind of see if you're using style components. Uh, there's a great library called Just Style Components, um, which will actually like uh, print out your CSS styles for your style component, so you can see like, oh, someone changed the width here, or someone changed the color. And snapshots, the way they work is. You look at it, you create a snapshot, you're like, this is what I want it to look like, so it creates a record. Um, if that changes, um, it'll it'll cause the test to fail. And then if that was an intentional change, you update the snapshot. If it's unintentional, it helps. Try and remove the gradient, fails. <laughs> right, like if, if you change... If you change your button and the heading snapshot changes, there's a problem there, right? Yeah. Like you made a mistake, so it kind of catches that. Sounds like a solid system to me. Does it? Well, (laughs) (laughs) no, no, it doesn't. I build all my headings with buttons. (laughs) 
<laughs> with the tra- transparent <laughs> background. One big button. Brent Jackson <laughs> post rat. I don't believe in anchor elements. <laughs> The native button, then a lot of 3D transforms. Yeah, with, dude. with the button face. Yeah, back face, whatever. That's that's what it's called, is button face, right? Sure. Like WebKit button face or something like that. Dumb. Sure. So, snapshot. I don't know. It's just like if you're changing all this stuff at GitHub, you gotta automate it in some way, right? Or do you? Are you actually gonna have people go through and like? check all the pages <laughs> right yeah we go through and check all the pages i can't tell if you're being sarcastic no 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 we do holy like, shit um but isn't that well, something we don't you want to check all the pages we, we know where which pages we're changing so um is that like is there like a checklist that's generated for you like based on where it's imported or used or anything like that no that but now handy. i'm thinking of things that i want there to be um it seems scary of, yeah so Early on, that probably probably would have been useful. It would have been mm. useful when we worked on the the type system and, and the color system because uh, that was like making uh, changes across like tons of views and, and tons of SAS files and stuff. So uh, I've definitely made manual kind of checklists when needed. Uh, we... Um, we yeah, so we rely on a lot of like user like functional testing, um, and sticking stuff up on our like we have like a review lab um, with uh, production data. So you can I if there's like really huge changes, then I'll ask a bunch of designers or developers to um, use that for the like do their work on GitHub if they if they're doing work where they're using GitHub, which is most people, <laughs> and um, and just use it for the holiday and review lab, which helps, like, spot um, problems. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it is very manual, and there's definitely a lot of... We, we would definitely like to do some... have some tooling that helps with that. And with the visual sort of regression side of things, one of the things that we pretty much always do is, like, before and after screenshots. So even if we weren't using it for what I guess visual regression testing is designed for. It's just useful so that that one step is automated for us. So we're like, this yeah. is, you know, visually what's changed. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's something that we will start to try and find um, build tooling for or we'll focus if, if we do keep moving forward with React. I think that might give us some easier pathways to mm-hmm. doing things like that. And we'll certainly start with like testing on Primer on the component library itself rather than in .com because um, while .com is the biggest, I guess, uh, user of, of Primer, there's also like lots of other websites that um, GitHub has that use Primer. So we would probably focus on ensuring the system changes Um well, what we meant them, what we intended them to be first before, yeah, dot com. So, I do, I do want to add a thought. I think, I think I don't like visual regression testing, um, but I do see a lot of value in visual diffing. Like, if you want, if, yeah. if you're a designer yep. and you're like changing the interface, you kind of want to see like what it looked like before, what does it look like now, where are the like nuanced differences, did this shift up, mm-hmm. did this shift down? Like, I think mm-hmm. that's actually. There's not enough tooling in that space, I don't think. Abstract does that. I know Layer Vault did that back in the day. Like it's yeah. very useful. We just did that with um I think you saw we um moved our octacons over to Figma. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of Probot. 
but it's mm-hmm. like a GitHub bot. And so we used <laughs> Figma, uh, the Figma API to export the screenshot of changes to our octacons, which are our icon system, if anyone's not familiar. And, um, and then uh, we use uh, Travis CI, uh, so continuous integration, and um, use ProBot to make a visual diff um, of the changes to the, to the icons and open a PR. Um, which is super awesome, and uh, that's something we'll like extend to like the rest of the design system as we port stuff over to um, Figma um, and explore that more. So yeah, it's definitely helpful. Where do you see this pattern of what like, icons is a great example of like where Figma could really shine with with that API integration, but obviously they and every other design tool wants to move beyond that and have designers and developers like thinking in, in the same tool like okay you've built this in figma now it exports to react in some way and that react component can live in your application and so when the figma file changes the component in production changes like where do you see that pathway going obviously you've started with icons but how far do you take that like buttons yeah i mean it, it makes sense for the icons because we can export the svg code right mm-hmm. so it that's behind um that design file I don't think that we would um, have Figma or any other design tool be the source of truth for for the for the com- for generating the component code. Yeah. I think that's really interesting and useful for like prototyping and stuff like that. So that's an area where I think we're more inclined to use it. Um, but I do think that we things like. Um, uh, React Sketch App and HTML Sketch App and things like that, where you uh, port the icons, uh, the components in automatically from from code into the into the design mm-hmm. system is really interesting. So, I'm that's the thing I'm excited about. I'm excited about Figma's Write API, which I think they're working on later in the year. So that will be that will be something that I want to explore. I'm sure. Jackson has many thoughts on design tools. <laughs> He's literally about to explode in this chair. Talking about using it for the source of truth would like we just you can't do that because it has no context for what it's actually making, right? It's it's putting rectangle layers inside things that yeah. you wouldn't do in code. And yeah, and it's like components are going to be components of other components in your system, or well, that's how I would think of it. So how does it? And maybe there's a way to map it, but anyway, you you. Yeah, I think, like, to your point, like, I I don't think the sophistication of something like any design tool, Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of Figma, really excited about the API stuff they're doing, Um, but, like, you're never going to be able to keep up with front-end and developer tooling. Um, Like, you know, we use NPM, we use semantic versioning, Mm -hmm. uh, we use Git for source control, uh, GitHub, um, all these tools, which um, frankly, design tools should do all that stuff. I think, right? I think I think the correct mm-hmm. approach is for like the design tools to kind of adopt that stuff where it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of like React Sketch App and like the Figma Write API. Like starting, you know, starting with the code and then providing more tooling for like I think the underlying thing has to be code because that's actually what's going to production. That's actually like the real thing. Um, but if that can kind of go back into, if there's tooling built on top of that that enables designers to explore outside of you know running an application, things like Storybook, right? Like you still have to know some code, but like you don't have to know how to manage the application state to be able to do things and something like that. Sure. 
I think Storybook's just like a, a very, you know, early example. I think you'll see more and more stuff that kind of like follows that lead. I don't know. But as, as you get into things like Figma having a right API that's like native to it, I mean, you can, and it's on the web, you can start like, you can do like almost a package manager, right? Like you can start importing Octacons or um, someone else's style guide and work with their components as it is. Like that that mm. stuff gets pretty interesting and it gets closer and closer to being a one-to-one relationship with how developers work, which I think is really great. Visual linting rather than like visual regress- regression testing seems really interesting to me. Like there are rules that say you can't do this. That seems pretty neat. I, I think... Uh I would just add a caveat to that. It, it should be about like this is your break. You're like breaking out of the design system. Not you can't do it because there there mm. might be a need. But yeah, um, yeah. I really like the idea. Of, I I don't. I think people need to be in design tools sometimes, and then they need to be in code sometimes. And I I think people need to be able to work in in the tool that they most feel comfortable with, or for the for the job that they're currently working on, like what makes sense to them, what allows them to explore what they need to explore or, mm-hmm. or whatever. So um, that's, yeah, that's one of the things that this might offer is that people who want to make their changes in to icons in Figma can do that there. If they want to do it in code, they can do it in code. So yeah, I think very few people would ever want to like write SVGs in code. Are you kidding? Sounds I, awesome. I might know someone that yeah, I, I, code. <laughs> I specifically said very few. <laughs> there are weirdos in I think, I think like that's, a, that's a valid use case for mm-hmm. like Figma API. I think like the icons make a ton of sense. Like mm-hmm. you, you want the end result to be SVG, but use Figma as a way to edit that SVG, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. doing hand-coded SVG stuff is interesting, but it's also like a lot more time-consuming in some cases. If you're making a triangle, it's super easy. Mm-hmm. It's probably faster in code. But if you're making... Um, suitcase icon i don't know yeah or like the octocat right yeah. like that's a yeah that would not be We'd not so want easy to try that <laughs> can we do a quick quick divergence uh what side projects you're working on right now um well i count design systems coalition as a side project because sure. it's yeah. it's uh i don't get paid to do it and uh i mean it's a it's a passion project so that's awesome yeah, so that I'm working on. I um, have been iterating a bit on the format. Um, we now do a social uh, meetup. So we do, we do like a happy hour as well as like the meetup with speakers, which is great because when I'm running the meetup, I struggle to have a lot of chats with people, which I want to also do because I'm running around making sure everything's working, you know, getting slides to work and <laughs> things like that. So, uh, but also it's just nice to, yeah, meet people casually. Um, so I want to just sort of find the right cadence for that, find more helpers to help me with it. Cause I've realized lately that it's, uh, it's a little, it's a little bit too much work for me to do on my own as mm-hmm. well as doing things like speaking at conferences and I've got some writing things that I'm doing as well. So yeah, but like hacky projects, I do a lot. I'm, I do lots of silly like throwaway things. Um, I've been working on the latest one that I want to iterate on that I think I'm more likely to actually do something with soon is I made like a React website starter, but really it should probably be called like a playground. Um, I'm really, for work and also for myself, I'm trying to figure out how to um, get designers into the part of 
working with React that they probably most care about or would allow them to build excitement and, and motivate them to learn more. And I think that's at the sort of, how do I style things and put things together and make a page of stuff? And so I put something really messy together for, for training some folks at work and I want to iterate on that more. Um, and it started off as like, oh, I've... Uh, I collaborated with Jackson a bit. He helped me build, like, rebuild the Design Systems Coalition site, and then I built some other sites using this sort of same base setup. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I made this starter so that that was quicker. And then I was like, actually, this is really good for teaching and having demos of different ways of making components. So that's something I want to uh, and kind of have to and will need to iterate on. Um, so that that's kind of like the main thing, and then color stuff. Anything to do with colors? That's the thing mm-hmm. on my brain at the moment. Um, Side project colors. Well, that's the talk I've been doing this year. It's the, the or since the end of last year, it's the first time I have really iterated on the same talk, which has been a really good idea. I saw that talk <laughs> a while ago when you were here. You didn't see this version. Was, you you okay. saw me do um. 1900 colors introducing systems into chaos with the like brain expanding meme that sounds something yeah that was one of the silliest themes i used for a talk i don't think i'll do that again wasn't there a blue called dad jeans or something dad jeans blue so that was there was a good i remember the color parts the most that is the thing so you know when people do sketch notes they always draw the dad jeans blue slide Mm. (laughs) So yeah, some of one of our, uh, I think it was Patrick Marshall on the on the team who, I just think I just said his surname wrong. I think it's Marcel. Um, he uh, he's I think he was the one that came up with that name because it looked so drab and it just looked mm. it that old it's blue like desaturated. Looked, yeah, it looked like we just literally color picked it from like <laughs> like stonewashed jeans. So that's where that came from. So I'm I'm. Yeah, I did like a thing called Fifty Shades of Black, exploring black color palettes because I, I find it super fascinating that there's so much visual range in just black, and also I like that color, and um, and so I'd like to find some more projects that help teach me more about working with React and JavaScript and working with color programmatically. So, and then I have another project which. Oh my I, god. One more because it's relevant to this is podcast. It, is it sleeping? This is the monumental. Is it one. sleeping or eating or? There's, uh, no, it's called What Keeps You Up at Night, <laughs> ah, uh-huh. <laughs> which I should uh, spend a bit more time on, and, and it documents. <laughs> should you, though? I want to. I, re- I really enjoyed the chunk I well, did. Well, you started that question. You're the reason we ask What Keeps You Up at Night. Did I? Mm-hmm. I, did, I wasn't the first person who asked it. It was at the Etsy meetup, though. Yeah. I, it I was, think you suggested that we do it more often. Yeah, you strongly yeah. encouraged we make that a common thing. Yeah. Well, so for people that haven't seen it, explain. Um, basically, so over time, so at the first, at, at the Etsy live meetup, um, Aaron Moody mm-hmm. asked Randy Hunt, mm-hmm. what keeps you up at night? And it was like a really awesome, interesting answer. And then on the following podcast you asked it again a few times and then there was a bit of a gap and then over time you started asking it more and more and I was like I really love the the answers that are coming out of this and actually I'm going to tell you a story you might not know um and if you do know I'm going to say it anyway <laughs> so when you know when we did the get we did a github uh live recording uh-huh. right mm-hmm. um and 
I was like, they're going to ask me what keeps me up at night. So I started like thinking about what my answer would be. And because I felt pretty strongly about some things at the time and I had this this answer prepared and then you never asked the question. Oh, no. <laughs> it was a panel, which makes that really difficult to ask. I know. I'm so sorry. But that's we don't have time side... for everyone to say, uh, my kids. <laughs> that's why the side project happened though because I started thinking about it and I started thinking about how people's answer to that question might change over time and that it's kind of like a snapshot in time of what's mm. on that person's mind in that point in their life. And, and then I thought, you know what, no, what, I don't know if people want to read a blog of my, what keeps me up at night. And then I was like, oh, I could, you know, transcribe the answers from the show. And mm -hmm. it's super fascinating. Um, and, uh, really interesting to hear what people say. So where can people find it? Um, you should just link to it from the podcast because it's like a yeah, we don't W K Y U A N. Yeah, it's a really silly it's, URL. It's an acronym of yeah. what keeps you up at night. Yeah, or not something is it, or is that the repo? See, I don't That's even the, remember. I'm in the repo, which they is can why go I know to it. my personal website, scroll to the bottom, and there's a link there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's cool though. I've referenced it. Um, like when we've had repeat guests on. Mm -hmm. uh, who did we have? We had uh, Meg Roba show on recently mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. her third episode or something. And we went back and referenced, like, here's what's changed. Back then it was, she was freelancing and... She talked uh, about hustle, right? Yeah, she talked yeah, about hustle. Yeah, she was worried about how our industry, like, promotes yeah. hustle. That's, yeah. Damn, good memory. Holy shit. <laughs> I spent probably an hour writing it down and yeah. editing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So... So that's that's my a lot side, of side projects. End of side projects. Holy shit. You're busy. Yeah, I probably have too many. Maybe. That's okay. For now. Next side project, find more balance. <laughs> Less side projects. Can you make an app for that? Oh, wait. <laughs> All right. Side projects. Side projects. I probably need some narrowing of topics. I don't know. Um, I, I, side projects that you're excited about and actively working on. Sure. I think I think a lot of what I would consider side projects end up as open source projects on GitHub. Like maybe I follow through with them. Sometimes I just put ideas out there. Um, but I think the f for me, I think more about the theme. Um, and I think the theme, like a very strong theme of some of the stuff I've been working on recently, is kind of around. Um, front-end tooling's gotten more and more sophisticated, but also more and more complex and like a bigger barrier to entry. Um, I've worked with a lot of designers that are really great at HTML and CSS. I have the feeling that would love uh, some of the things possible with React components, but mm -hmm. there's such a huge barrier to entry there. Um, there's like there's a lot of great tooling that's starting to inch that way, like Create React app, like really simplifies the setup. Um, Storybook, like I mentioned a few times, but there's still there's still uh, sort of the need to understand npm, sort of the need to understand command line interfaces, a lot of things that um, you know. At thinking back like five, ten years ago, I would have no idea how to get started with that stuff. So I think I'm I'm really interested in um, making code more accessible, mm -hmm. um, especially for uh, you know designers and things like that. Like people talk about. Should designers code? I hate that framing mm -hmm. of the question. Um, I tend to think of this as like code literacy. It's it's like we teach 
Um, we teach our kids how to read and write. We mm -hmm. teach our kids math. We teach them fractions. A lot of math is really useful, right? But it's also like there's a lot of math that you may learn in college that you're never going to really apply on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think code's kind of the same way. There's different levels. Like you could be like, you know, mildly code literate or you could be uh, a back-end engineer that like knows many languages. Um, but I think, I think that's like important to like keep in mind and like to keep an open mind to like, you know, Code's not something you have to learn all at once. You don't have to go to a boot camp. You can kind of like progressively like inch your yeah. way into it. You don't like stuff. go in and learn all of JavaScript and then start coding or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, for the longest time in my career, I did like didn't work in JavaScript at all. Right. Um, and kind of like picked it up incrementally. So is this interest in literacy and making code more accessible? Is, is the manifestation of that your open source repositories or is it something else? Um, it's some of it manifests itself as open source projects. Um, you know, uh, style systems certainly more aimed at developers, but I, I see that as an abstraction that kind of like brings some design uh, thinking, not design thinking, but like design. Thank you. Asses, sorry. <laughs> I don't know what to call it. Thought but like, processes. It, it like, yeah, it's similarities, right? Like it's mentality. Yeah, like the mentalities into like the the code a little bit more. It's like as a designer, how would I want this mm -hmm. component to work? Um, yeah, like some of the some of the tools we're working on at Compositor, um, we released a beta of this thing called ISO, and it lets you kind of use components um, to kind of render out you know prototype UI. Um, but you don't need to necessarily import your components. You don't need to write the JavaScript around it. You don't need to install NPM. You don't need to run a server. It's just an application. You open it up, you open a file, and edit it just like you would HTML. It's not perfect. It's just kind of like a, I think that's a good like proof of concept of where mm -hmm. we want to go with this stuff. Um, but that's kind of like, I want to figure out what that right balance is or like what a good balance is. I don't think there is any one way, right? But I don't know. Is that an, a sufficient answer, or is that? It is okay. It's basically just follow Compositor and, and your open source stuff. Yeah, you can follow me if you like. <laughs> words like so. uh, well, we would be remiss if we didn't also follow up with what keeps you up at night. And I hope you oh. pre prepared adequately <laughs> for this moment. So Diana yesterday said, you know they're going to ask this question. <laughs> <laughs> that kept me up last night. Oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think um, it's it's kind of in similar ways the same thing that was keeping me up a few years ago. Just to, maybe I don't a, remember what that was. Can you yeah, refresh? Yeah, no, us? you never <laughs> heard it. So um, I oh, think oh, this is from the GitHub Live. Yeah, okay. yeah. So um, I think uh, I I'm really uh, happy in what I'm doing right now. Like mm -hmm. I. I get to work on design systems full time and I'm doing that at GitHub on a tool that I used before I was working there. So like a tool that I used to do my job and that I, I think has been a big impact on my career as a designer, like and helped me with learning to code. And so the thing that I, I worry about sometimes is like, doing a good job with design systems at GitHub with my team um, and not fucking it up. <laughs> and so I, yeah, that is, that is one of the things that I think about is like, sometimes I, it's, it's really easy sometimes to sort of forget um, 
that I'm working on like an application that millions of people use because I'm like deep buried in in like like what do we call this class name <laughs> this class selector or what yeah you know um the the design details um and nice. so <laughs> sorry um but it's it's, it's true um and and then I and then I yeah sometimes there's some big decisions to make that can have a big impact and uh, and even if it's yeah just CSS or like just design system like I you know I, I sometimes worry about that and then I and then I worry a bit more about the future now I think as I as I get older um, I think more about where's where's my career going am I spending am I being intentional about my choices and I think I've been thinking about that a lot this year because at the end of last year I was like right okay I had I took too many things on all at the same time at the end of last year I was writing the helping write the design systems handbook but um uh, that envision helped mm -hmm, put together mm -hmm. and I was doing the Clar clarity conference talk and there was a bunch of stuff going on at work and I was doing the meetup and I was like oh I did too many, and it all all these things landed at the same time. So I was like, okay, 2018, do less talks. I was like, I want to do more writing, um, and um, yeah, like focus on building up the Design Systems Co Coalition. And it's uh, April, right? Yeah, and I've done something like that. Yeah, so I've I've already done um, two or three talks, and then I already have like another two lined up and I have multiple writing assignments because that's what it feels like. <laughs> it feels like I have to write this many words and mm -hmm. I have to put this piece together and uh, uh, running the meetup is, is, it's just gotten more work. And, and then I, I've got more responsibilities in my day job and, like yeah we just hired someone and and uh yeah i feel more of a responsibility to the broader uh, product design team i'm thinking more about like how to help like the hiring process across the team and onboarding and things like that so um i think uh yeah being more intentional and thinking about am i just sort of going with the flow and what's thrown at it at me or am i making choices with thought and <laughs> like spending my time in on the right areas so yeah all those things and <laughs> and leia our cat who likes to come and jump on top there of me wake is. me up uh stole keep me up at my, night stole both of my <laughs> everyone always does that and it's like oh it's uh -huh. like yeah <laughs> well i'm she, glad you did this exact same thing as everybody else Diana. I, general I, career anxiety and also the cat yeah <laughs> yeah She's a quiet cat and she brings toys in the night <laughs> and she'll meow this like meow like here I brought you a mousy toy. <laughs> Thank you. I cat. like to think it so I hide her mousy toys in, in places and I like to think that she's like mad and like, Will you stop like hiding these toys? I've told you before. That's that's what I like to imagine she's really saying. Hmm. But it's, it's kind of what very it's like torturing her. <laughs> I think she enjoys it. It's fun. It's a job. It's a job at night to find the toys. So, ah, yes, pet jobs. That's what I usually think when Brian yells at me. Is I'm like, well, I gave you something fun to do. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh. nope, that doesn't. That's not fun. <laughs> what keeps you up at night, Jackson? I, I was waiting for someone to ask me. <laughs>
all three of us staring at you like this. It's uh, good audio content when you just stare at people. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I, I think the thing I wanted to say is sort of similar to Diana, but like in a different angle. Like I, I say no to a lot of things. I try to like be very focused. I try to be very like um, you know centered on one thing at one time. Um, I don't feel like I get distracted by too many things, but I worry. You know, I wouldn't say this keeps me up at night, but I do worry, like, am I focusing on the right thing? Am I, like, putting my energy where it's, like, most worthwhile? And, like, kind of in tandem with that, like, am I steering people wrong? You know, like, I do a lot of open source projects, and, like, a lot of people look at this stuff and get ideas, and, like, hopefully they're good ideas, but what if they're terrible ideas? And, like, is this actually going to cause problems? Generally, I don't think so, but, you know, that does kind of, like, at the back of my mind kind of, like, worry me a little bit. Um, it's like if we're keeping this literacy metaphor it's like what if you're publishing an alphabet of sorts but all of your letters are backwards that's, that's gonna fuck some people I like up. the metaphor I'm okay with that okay hopefully just one letter's backwards and it's like the lowercase like, L or like something like Andy yeah uh, <laughs> like people get it <laughs> I'm sorry I cut you off Yeah, I, I don't know if I have much more I oh, mean that was it <laughs> The dark answer is uh, climate change. Like mm. that is just super terrifying to me, and it's such a terrifying large thing mm -hmm. that no one's acting on it mm -hmm. because it is terrifying and large. Um, that that does <laughs> honestly that keeps me up at night. Not so much a thin layer of O three in the upper atmosphere is what keeps you up at night. Yeah, Diane, if, if if you do pick up the what keeps you up at night website, you'll very quickly notice this bucket that suddenly shifted in 2017 from like, oh, I'm worried about, you know, am I doing a good job at work? And then 2017 is like, um, the election, uh, nuclear war, yeah, yeah. climate change, uh, civil war. Like I actually didn't, I, there was a couple of times where I was going to sort of publish, ship it and share it more broadcastly, but because there was so many dark things happening in the mm -hmm. world, I d was worried that the answer would be reflected in that context and so I, I think I actually have added something to the site that it's like in the context of the design details podcast and people are talking about design because I was worried about that because um, I don't want people to be worried about their answers on there. Cause, yeah. I mean, they, I will obviously take them down if they are. But um, I think for me, yeah, it, it has changed. I wanted it to be a thing that helps. So if you're at a certain place in your career and – uh, I think it's a really insightful thing to sort of hear what s worries people at, <laughs> at, in a different, or what people are like choosing to care about and think about and are concerned with at different stages in their career, whether you're like Daniel Berker and, and super experienced and um, or you're an, an IC just starting out. Like it's, it's really interesting to hear the range of the evolution of things that sort of matter to people over time or people that become parents and their, their priorities change and things like that. So, um, I agree. I think yeah. it's really interesting. Thank and I, I, I like this idea of snapshot in time and being able to hopefully <laughs> compare that across people over time. I think well, that was yeah. always an idea that went into the beginning of design details is like, we could have the same people on yeah. a couple of years later and like check in and that's, and it's sort of happening. Yeah. And I also like, not that particular question, but the design details has like if you go back and listen to old episodes, hearing the themes that get talked about around mm -hmm. what designers gave a shit about in 2015, 16, like 
It's different. It's just totally different than Wavy today. Underline. Yeah, I did actually start building categories into it for that reason, so that people could explore. Well, it's not, yeah, yeah, like well, so yeah, categorizing that's interesting. I would say like one is as we've talked to people multiple times, a lot of the conversation has shifted from like IC work to management work, and then. Uh, Brent and I's interests have shifted as well. So you can notice that as he and I have built more stuff together, we started talking to more and more engineers. And so like those macro mm-hmm. trends have been fun to sort of mm-hmm. watch develop over time. Um, we're, we're actually probably interviewing a good chunk of engineers these days. We so, also started with an engineer, so. That's true. To be fair, I was technically a designer the first time I was on. <laughs> technically. But like, I also don't, self-identify as a designer anymore so like doing a a show about design is like less interesting to me now like i feel like i have a pretty good grasp of that stuff for the most part and now like one of the big benefits for this was like getting mentorship and like learning and like just talking to people about things that you don't usually get like expert opinion on or whatever and the area i want that information from is now engineering rather than design Mm -hmm. things change (laughs) turns out (laughs) someone tried a song about that i mean there was a you mentioned with like people being concerned about their answers, especially like from the, are they taking like what's happening in the world seriously enough mm-hmm. outside of design? Like there was an episode where we recorded Jessica Collier and it was right after a shooting happened. Yeah. And like, we didn't even want to talk about design. We we're just like, well shit, like what do we do now? Yeah. Like, it, it was reported like an hour before we recorded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we were just in a bad mood. Yeah. We were just like, I don't even know how to start this thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think there's a fear of, of worrying like focusing on trivial things when Mm -hmm. all this stuff is going on i i've definitely worried about that on um with my use of twitter and other social media and Mm -hmm. promoting things like the design systems coalition and being like is anyone going to care about this right now when all this other stuff is going on and i i kind of ended on i i kind of ended up thinking well we all still have to a lot of us are still doing our jobs and need to learn and and share things and um maybe we can use our skills to towards helping some of these um um serious things right and so learning to be better of our craft is a good thing so that's sort of the way i've ended up thinking about it um we had a figma launch scheduled one day that i think uh i think it was ferguson like Mm. shit just went down and we're like we're yeah, not don't doing launch, that now. Don't launch anything. No. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. It's important to have like world context in mind as we have these conversations. I mean, it's been a very abnormal couple of years. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, this was uh, fun. Well, <laughs> that was, <laughs> on that note, that's, that's uh, what's keeping us collectively <laughs> up at night. Cool. I feel I feel bad for taking that into a dark no, direction. It's, it's good. We got... We, I'm glad we talked about it. Um, Well, thanks so much for coming over while you're both in town. Thanks for having us. It's been fun. Yeah. Thanks. It was fun to be back on the show. That was episode 246. Thanks so much to Diana and Brent for coming out here. Thanks to you for listening. Whew. That was a real thrill ride. From start to finish. It's like Avengers. It was more gripping than Avengers of Infinity War. (laughs) Okay. Is that a gauntlet joke? (laughs) (laughs) It is now. We hope you enjoyed listening. Uh, Come hang out with us in our community at spectrum.chat slash specfm where we're sharing all the episodes from our podcasts and you can chat about uh, what we talked about here. Of course, before we go, 
Thank you so much to our two sponsors who made this episode possible. Go to goabstract.com to change the way that you and your team design products together. Yeah, you really can't go wrong with any company that uses a Squircle for their logo. I'm a big fan. You're a big fan. We're all big fans. And uh, luckily, you can sync all your design files in their big fan. Goabstract.com. They have a free month trial. Get started today. and uh, Version control. Version control your work. Damn it. Yeah. Damn it. Darn it. Thanks. Dang it. And thank you, of course, so much to Swipey's, the version-controlled reusable paper uh, that we use every day for note-taking and drawing and wireframing and mocking up. And teams at Airbnb, Facebook, BuzzFeed, and more are using them to, to design their products. And They're you can real too. good. They're great. Go to swipi.es. That's the website. They're called Swipey's. And you can get 10% off when you use the promo code SPECFM. That's S-W-I-P-I dot E-S Swipeys. You know, I used to have a dot E-S uh, domain name and they always read so nicely, but they're so hard to they're, say. Yeah, they're so hard. Um, but Swipeys are so yes, good. So good. We really can't complain. They're fantastic. We ordered tons of custom ones. They're great to work with. Swipeys. Just do it. Go like, get it. Yeah, just do it. Abstract and Swipeys is is collectively going to change the way that that you go about your day-to-day workflow in such a good way. Such a good way. In all the right ways. In that good way. All right. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.